0: comment and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon folks, it's V the Gorilla Economist coming to you live on this edition of Rogue News in the morning and we have with us Harley Schlanger, a man who needs no introduction you can find Harley over at laroucheorganization.com the Organization.com, as well as the schillerinstitute.com Institute.com. and with that being said, Harley we are on the precipice of, of a potential World War 3 um NATO, they don't have a reverse gear. I think the reverse gear is broken. They don't know how to reverse out into peace. All they know is how to go forward into failure and go hard all the way to failure. And the U.S. is happy to sit on the sidelines fighting a proxy war, even if it means their entire quote-unquote European allies, and we use the word allies very euphemistically here, are completely eviscerated. So where do you want to start? There's so much going on.
1: (laughs) Well, let's start with that, because there's a a very interesting set of developments over the last few days, starting with the announcement on uh, January 10th of what's essentially a merger of the EU and NATO. Now, they had been in a de facto uh, merger, but this was... Uh, Ursula von der Leyen, Robert Michel from the European Council and the paperclip general, Secretary General Stoltenberg of NATO Mm -hmm. announced that now this point forward, the European Union states must support what NATO is doing. And the, the specific communique said the enemy is the brutal Russians and the increasingly uh, aggressive Chinese. And this was a statement of a full commitment to the unipolar order. It's the worst aspect of of British geopolitics, which is to destroy your enemies, Russia and China, combined with using the NATO military to impose neoliberal economic policies. Now, as that was going on, uh, the Japanese... Prime Minister Kishida was in London signing an agreement, a reciprocal arms agreement with the Brits, which now allows the British and Japanese to station soldiers on each other's soil. And when this was released, the British said, this is the most significant agreement between Japan and Britain since 1902. Now what happened in 1902? An agreement was made for the British to fund a Japanese military buildup to go to war against Russia. Correct. Now, do you think the Russians don't know these things? Right. Then
0: they, they haven't forgotten the Russo-Japanese War. Okay. Of right. uh, of of nineteen what was it, eighteen nineteen
1: eighteen. No, nineteen oh four, nineteen oh
0: five. Right, and they and and and, and 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 you know they they there still isn't a peace treaty between Japan and Russia, which Russia has tried. And from World uh, War Two. Yeah. Exactly. And then now they're watching the idiot Brits, the mouse that roared is going to the dragon that was and it's telling them was well, no, no longer a dragon it's a koi. So the mouse and the koi have gotten together and they said they're, so they're going to form a military pact against the bear. It's not going to work out well for them, Harley.
1: Well, they just to, to finish what happened in 1902 the Japanese got significant loans from Britain to prepare for the war with Russia in 1904, and 1905, which triggered the 1905 revolution in Russia, which was the first sign that the czarist regime was not going to last much longer. And it was sort of a test run with uh, Trotsky very much at the center of it, a test run for what happened 12 years later in 1917. Now, Then Kishida went to the United States and met with Sleepy Joe and his visit followed a meeting of the defense ministers and foreign ministers of the two countries where the United States committed the 18,000 Marines in Okinawa to coordinate with Japan's military. And that includes giving Japanese access to some of the military technology, including cruise missiles and others. Now that Japan has announced they're going to end their, their post-World War II agreement to not have an offensive military capability. So now you have global NATO. This is no longer something that just we in the LaRouche movement are talking about as a figment of our imagination. It's now real. And it's been real. It's just that people wouldn't recognize it. Now, what's interesting is none of this, this talk of democracy and cooperation, none of it is fooling the nations of the developing sector. That's why they're tending toward, uh, they're minimally rejecting the demands that they gang up on Russia and China, but they're actually signing all kinds of agreements with Russia and China. But I, I want you to hear the comment of uh, Patrushev who's the secretary of the Russian Security Council, when he was asked about this. Petrushev in an interview, said the Ukraine war is a cover for a conglomerate of huge corporations that rule the U.S. and try to dominate the world. The U.S. authorities, allied to big business, serve the interests of the transnational corporations, including the military-industrial complex. The assertive policy of the White House, the unbridled aggressiveness of NATO, the emergence of uh, unity military blocs like AUKUS, the Australia, UK, US, and others. These are also a consequence of corporate influence. And then he went on to say that they are fighting to preserve a system of global exploitation. And then he said that don't forget a number of presidents have either been assassinated or targeted for assassination. The presidents do not rule over this conglomerate. The conglomerate runs the presidency. Now, that's pretty astute. And this is one of the uh, allies of Putin who runs the Security Council in Russia. Now, the reason this is so important is that what we're asking parliamentarians in Europe and asking the European populations, did you agree that your country will be part of the proxy war and the the war against Russia? Did you vote on it? Was your parliament consulted? And the answer to all of these questions is no. And in Europe now, we're seeing a growing opposition. The, The latest polls in Germany Show that the ruling coalition, which had a narrow majority six months ago, now in the polls is at about forty-two percent. So, in, in France, it's it's even uh, Macron is I think at about twenty-five percent popularity. Yeah. So, so we're seeing a shift underway even within these countries, and what this means is that somebody has to present a case for a growing public awareness of both the the aggressive intent of these cartels, but also their weakness. They're doing this out of weakness. And what when you look at the motion in the global South, you see that they're not going to allow themselves to be exploited the way the, the West is accustomed to doing since the end of World War II. And so... In the short term, it could mean coups and, and uh, wars in a number of countries. For example, I'm sure you've noticed this. V. There's in Bolivia and Peru, there's uprisings which are being cheerled by the U.S. State Department against elected governments.
0: Oh, absolutely, and we're, we're seeing right now an absolute bloodbath even closer to the southern border. Look what's happening in Mexico, where the yeah. where the once favored once the once CIA United States Intelligence Services favored Golden Child which is the Sinaloa cartel is no longer favored but the for, but a new cartel led by a Mexican military I think either colonel or general or whatever called New Generation right who is uh, that general who has some deep ties with American intelligence agencies is now leading an uprising with Sinaloa cartel versus the, uh, the new generation and is leading to an absolute war in northern Mexico. All thanks to the, the meddling of the United States, Harley. And, and this is incredible what is happening. They are, look, I don't find it surprising that all of a sudden Olmo has a problem in, in, in his own borders when in the last, you know, two years or so, and three years, Mexico has been warming up to the multipolar world. They've been warming up to doing deals with China and Russia. And now look at it all of a sudden, there's a drug war raging. And then you have the situation in Peru. You have the situation in Bolivia. You have the, the, the Brazil. You're trying to cook in Colombia. Brazil, same thing. Yeah. I mean, South Amer- Central and South America, these arsonists who are British and U.S. Uh, unipolaristas these arsonists are setting the world on fire wherever they can.
1: I, I like that unipolaristas. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah. But, you know, what you have is people like Lopez Obrador, Lula, and others know this. Yeah. And that's why they're looking to the east and the, the overtures from China. You know, the Chinese are, are playing this very cleverly. They're They're going in saying, look, Let's pick a few projects you need to get done. We'll help fund them. Uh, The Russians are basically saying, and and this is where you see it's interesting. What if the Russians say to Lopez Obrador, you need some missiles to protect your border? Now, what do you think would happen
0: then? (laughs) Would you like Exactly. Oh my God! Yeah, because be
1: everyone in the period. U.S., the the Republican conservatives are all saying the most important issue is we have to protect our border, uh, and yeah, they're correct. Why are we spending so much money to protect Ukraine when we're not protecting the United States? Sure. But what would happen to people like Rick Scott, this uh, senator from the Florida, uh, big pharma, and the the uh, what did Columbia HCA? Scott sent out this statement the other day. He was asked, why are you supporting the war in Ukraine? And he said, Russia is a cancerous, evil regime that threatens our national security by attempting to control as much of Europe and Eurasia as it can. What an imbecile.
0: Uh, Who talks
1: to these guys? Who advises them?
0: Think tanks. Uh, Think tanks that are filled with 27- and 30-year-olds who went to Yale and Harvard... That's who's telling them this BS Harley it's
1: Well incredible. this is the this is the children of the Brzezinski networks correct and you know these these are classic British geopoliticians, none of whom have a clue of what the military is like. you know you can see it in terms of the coverage, for example of these contested cities now in the Donbas area where one day the Russians are, are moving and advancing. And they're saying, why are the Russians fighting there? It's not important. It's not an important battle. Well, then why are the Ukrainians entrenched? Why won't they leave? And the the you talk about a bloodbath. The Ukrainian army has been significantly degraded as Putin said he would do it, while Russia continues to increase its capability. Now, you know, I, I think I, I sent you the latest from the Committee to Combat Disinformation, which has me on their list, saying that uh, uh, I'm an information terrorist for saying that NATO is using Ukraine to, to weaken Russia and they're sacrificing Ukrainians. So that makes me an information terrorist. Yep. And yet the the um, defense minister, Resnikov of Ukraine, said exactly the same thing Except he had a different twist. He said, "We're shedding our blood for you, NATO. You should mm-hmm. give us more weapons.
0: Send us leopard tanks. Yeah, we'll give us M1 Abrams, A2s specifically. They they burn very well. They burned very well in the Yemeni <laughs> desert. They will burn very well in the in in, in the forests of Ukraine, like, like like Roman candles. These people are idiots.
1: Well, and, and then you see." Uh, here's here's another one of my favorite quotes from the last couple of days. Lieutenant General James Bierman, mm, who's I'm the commanding mean. general of U.S. Marine Forces in Japan, yeah. and he said, "We have to do in Asia what we did in Ukraine beginning in 2014." So what is he saying? Yes, we were setting the theater for war. He said that explicitly, setting the theater for war in Ukraine in 2014. So this shows that all the demands from the West, uh, including Merkel, including Hollande, including uh, uh, Obama, that Russia reach a peaceful settlement with Ukraine, as they were saying that, they were preparing for a war against Russia. Now, then Biermann said, this included training, pre-positioning of supplies, identifying uh, sites that are useful to sustain an operation, and so on. Now we must do that in the Pacific theater. And here's the rest of his quote. As soon as, as we square off with the Chinese adversary, the question oh, is, I love the words. He, he said, who is going to own the starting pistol and is going to have the ability potentially to initiate hostilities. So he's talking about preemptive strikes in Asia.
0: Yeah. 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 Because, you know, these idiots are morons. They are, they are, they're morons wrapped in stupidity because they literally think this is the 1980s, Harley. They literally think it's the 1980s and we have – and the Soviet Union just collapsed, the late 80s, early 90s, yeah. and, and we can do carte blanche in the world. That's how stupid these people are. We have no industrial capability to wage war anywhere in the world. I've been saying it for years. I'm so thankful to God you have guys like Andre Martinov that's been out there doing his thing. Uh, Scott Ritter has been doing his thing, exposing the joke that is the United States war machine, which is effectively wonderful at knocking over mud huts in third world countries, but cannot win against a technological rival. Let me share something with you real quick, uh, Harley. This is Mason Clark. Uh huh. This guy, this kid, excuse me, is 27 years old. He is the lead Russian analyst for the Institute of of the study of war, which is a major U S think tank, another it's you know, a, it's a neocon,
1: neocon think tank.
0: Exactly. Bill crystals yeah. in there. general, yeah. uh, Jack Keene, another general <laughs> Jack Keen, a guy who's a, a strikeout artist. All these generals were generals of a country that lose wars. We've never won a war in our lives. It's a, this country loses every war it's ever entered. Now, Mason Clark, listen to this, this 27 year old snot nosed kid, this millennial, who doesn't know anything, hasn't suffered anything. He is the main Russia expert. Listen to this. He's been quoted by the New York, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the New Yorker, NPR, Task and Purpose, Defense One, and the Kiev Independent, and many others. He regularly briefs senior military and civilian decision makers on Russian military capability. And the Kremlin's global campaigns. And what's a study in? Foreign policy, political science, all these fake degrees that mean nothing. This snot nosed 27 year old kid who knows nothing, who, excuse my French, Harley, knows shit from Shinola, is in charge of educating American military and US politicians on Russia. So it makes, and guess who? Who who gets a lot of his talking points from the Institute of the Study of War? Senator Rick Scott. Yeah, exactly. So, this, the, so the, the the person who's in charge of Rick Scott and the and, and the and the remaining neocons, okay? These remaining neocons that are in DC, where are they getting all their info? Where are they getting their worldview on Russia and Eurasia and Asia from? Well, on the Russian side of things, they get it from this snot nosed Mason Clark who's 27.
1: Well, here's the question that uh, Mrs. LaRouche asked in the webcast I did with her the other day. She said, how many Americans are aware that over a hundred billion dollars has been committed to this war that and where's the money going? It's going to the military industrial complex and into the pocket of swindlers in Ukraine. And she just said, did you vote for that? Are, Are you committed to that? If not, Get off your rear end, figure out what's going on, and join with us to fight it. Now, we had two conferences, uh, one on Sunday, one on Tuesday, which included people like Ray McGovern. It included Scott Ritter. Uh, it included Stephen uh, Starr, who's a leading expert on nuclear war. And we have another one coming up tomorrow at 10 in the morning Eastern time at the shillerinstitute.com which will include, again, Ray McGovern and Garland Nixon. Uh, I'll be mm. participating in that. And it's on the topic, Stop NATO's World War and Dismantle the International Assassination Bureau. There's more material coming out now on the Kennedy assassination, including Roger Stone posted something very interesting uh, yesterday, which was a tape that had not been Made available previously of Nixon talking to Richard Helms, the CIA director, where Nixon said to him, "Look, I know the, what happened to Jack, and I'm never going to tell anyone. Don't worry. I, I've lied before, but you have to keep me in, in the, the uh, keep me briefed." So he's basically saying to Helms, "I know the CIA killed Kennedy, yeah, and I'm willing to lie to cover it up." but make sure you keep me briefed. Now you think about that and you look at all the people who have been killed in these so-called lone assassins. And, you know, one other thing that Roger Stone said yesterday, which is quite interesting is he brought up this new story that's just come out about Biden having classified documents, not in one place, but in a garage, one of his homes, one of his other homes, and the fact that now they're saying Joe Biden has to have some cancer surgery what roger said is the that he believes the obamas are preparing to have biden step down yeah because they, they know say, he's exactly. unelectable they right. know he's unelectable that uh all this talk of defeating inflation and everything else it, it's bunk and therefore what they're preparing is either to convince him to step down or to have a 25th amendment to get rid of him. Or Roger said, perhaps they'll assassinate him. And then I said, well, how does it work then? Cause that makes Harris president. And he said, he thinks through the fed, they're going to try and rig a, an appearance of a recovery yes. to keep Harris in there.
0: Bingo. Said, that, that's said, what the i only are, way are looking at. And, and and Harley, that's what our data points are looking at on the financial side. We're tracking right now because the, 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 all the trading, all the, the neuro that goes into the economic metrics is a language, and it's a forecasting language. People always ask me, hey, V, how do you know that this is going to happen six months before it happens? Well, the market talks to us. It has a language. It speaks. And we're looking for all of a sudden – you know, in the next few months, we're looking for a major opening of the spigot and the return of cheap money. And I'm wondering how That's it right. happens. Now you're talking about it. Go ahead, Harley. So what, what Roger
1: said is that the only problem they'll have is that if they get rid of Biden, they're going to have to keep Harris shut up. Yeah. Because if she talks, she, she'll be worse than Biden. Right. So, you know, he said they have ways of rigging it the same way they did in 2020. And, you know, I'm not saying he's right, but I'm saying it makes a lot of sense. I was just wondering, why did they suddenly bring out these declassification documents that show that Biden, first of all, he was a vice president. So how did he have these classified documents? Secondly, he has no ability to declassify, whereas a president does. So Trump has a legitimate argument that he could declassify these, but Biden has no such power as a vice president. So what Roger said is that the fact that it was broken, the story was broken on NBC, it's been covered in the New York Times, shows that they're starting to swing the situation towards something like this. Also, he said, it's clear that the Ukraine war is not going well and that it would be very easy for the U.S. to say, well, this is a European affair. Let's walk away from it. At which point, what happens to our so-called European allies? Now, there's another story out there, which is that the Europeans who were expecting to be able to buy cheap oil and gas from uh, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, uh, Qatar, and elsewhere, they're being cut out of that market by the Chinese because the Chinese can pay more for it. Yep. And so the, the whole fallback option for Europe is collapsing. So the question is, why are the Europeans keeping quiet? Why is Olaf Scholz covering up for the Western destruction of the Nord Stream pipelines? Why is Annalena Baerbock, who knows nothing about strategic policy, military policy, she makes that 27-year-old guy look like a genius. She shows up in Ukraine for a a 10-minute photo op and is hailed as a courageous figure. And people are starting to say, how did the Greens get so much power in Germany? Yeah, And so, you know, we could be seeing a significant shift, which would include and trying to end the war in Ukraine, but going full speed against China. Because there are people in the military, unlike this idiot Bierman, uh, the Marine guy in, in Japan, there are people in the military who know we cannot fight a two-front war right now. And the, the weapons we're providing to Ukraine is depleting our stores of weapons. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we're on the cusp of, of something quite significant. And I, I would encourage people to go to our website tomorrow and, and listen to this discussion uh, with Garland Nixon, Ray McGovern. Uh, it's possible Roger Stone will be uh, uh, showing up at it. I'll be one of the moderators. Yeah. But we're taking up this question. Of breaking the population in the NATO countries away from the political leaders because the political leaders are not just clueless, they're corrupt, and many of them are just plain evil.
0: They're incredibly evil. And nothing is worse than corrupt evil people that are banally power. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> power and banally stupid. Okay, they these are people that have very poor understanding of logistics, industry. They have no real hard education. They have no real education. They're, these are very uneducated people. They know nothing about sciences, physics, mathematics, nothing. Engineering, anything. The lawyers and civil activists and community organizers, that's what they do. And, and, and they don't understand the geopolitical landscape at all. The West no. does not have the industrial capacity to wage a modern-day war that is a scientific reality they can write all the white papers they could you know beat all the war drums they want and rattle all the sabers but when the rubber meets the road in the south china sea every single and there's one thing that the idiotic Rand corporation got correct the question is not if the united states loses in a war in the south china seas But how quickly it loses the war in the South China Seas. Well, Well, uh, indeed,
1: when you you talk about the insanity, the uh, Rishi Sunak's office put out a statement after the meeting with Kishida. And he said, this will cement the UK's commitment to Indo Pacific security. Right. And he's the one who said it's the most important defense treaty between the UK and Japan since 1902. (sighs) Now, meanwhile, it, it kills you have me a strike with
0: It kills me that a man of Indian descent is now a prime minister in the UK, and it doesn't bother him in the least bit.
1: Well, that's that's the tradition, though, of the Commonwealth. Yeah, You, you find people who are willing to sell out their nations, sell out their heritage yep. uh, for the sake of, in his case, I think $5 billion from, from his wife's family. Mm-hmm. But here's the other point. There's a strike wave in the United Kingdom. There are people who are not eating, people who can't heat their homes, even with the government subsidy. And yet Sunak is saying, we're going to restore and cement our commitment to Indo-Pacific security.
0: Good. So this is it's going exactly to do what it It's going to do wonders for their inflation.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the question that has to be asked is, who authorized these governments to form these alliances to establish a global NATO dictatorship with no public debate, no parliamentary debate, no votes in the Congress? This is all being done by a dictatorship. But if you say that, people say, oh, now that's over the top. Well, I don't know what else you can call it.
0: Yeah. Yep. You know, it's it's pretty funny, and it's, and it's also kind of telling. About three weeks ago, Harley, the United States Air Force revealed their new bomber, the B-21 Raider. It has a striking resemblance to the Grumman Northrop B-2 Spirit. A striking resemblance. In fact, you can even call it, uh, you know, uh, the B-2 2.0. But what was funny about this reveal, Harley, is this throughout the buildup of excitement to this quote-unquote bomber this is the first time in military history where we did not see one single clip of the actual plane even flying we did not (laughs) see one single clip of it even taxiing on onto a runway or moving under its under its own power down the runway it's remarkable to me that the United States was talking, even you know, a couple months ago, about the Dark Eagle hypersonic missile that they're working on, and that they're going to deliver it in September to Germany. It never happened, of course, because truth be told, they don't have a Dark Eagle. It's vaporware. It exists only in in, in the white papers that are written by 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 the sharp by the by the crooks at Lockheed.
1: Okay. And in Tom and in Tom Cruise movies,
0: and in Tom Cruise movie, yes, the Dark Star, the Tom <laughs> Cruise, and they, and they, and literally, Lockheed has no shame. They go to air shows and they bring a movie prop along with them, <laughs> and people think it's real. This is this is where we come to, folks. And the reason why I bring this up, Harley, is to show you the B two stealth bomb or the B two stealth bomber successor, the B twenty one Raider, is a joke. It's not real. It it doesn't fly. It's vaporware, right? And if it does fly, it's going to be some sort of retrofit of the old technology B-2, right? The F-35 is a failure. The F-22, which is the best plane we have, has problems in and of itself. We don't have the industrial capacity. Like, you know, Scott Ruder says it best. If the U.K. went to war against Russia, they have enough ammunition for two weeks. The United States, we probably run out of ammo in the first 30 days. That's what we, we have to go nuclear. And I've said this before. I've had clients of mine, one of which was one of the head guys running a, a very key position in the American nuclear forces. And one of the things that he's confided in me is that he would be surprised if, if, if even 20% of our nuclear arsenal even works. Okay, it's it literally held together by like duct tape, chewing gum, and dental floss. Is what's holding a lot of this stuff together. Okay, our Minuteman twos and our Trident threes. These were developed in the early seventies, Harley. Yeah. Okay, this is terrible. Now, the other gentleman was the head of naval procurement. Okay, this is the time when the when the the navy was uh, was sea trialing the Gerald R. R. Ford uh, aircraft carrier, which turned out to be a giant piece of junk. But most importantly, the F-35. And this is how I knew that the F-35 for every, and this is what he told me, for every hour that stupid piece of junk flying turd that cannot fly, that cannot turn, that cannot shoot, spends in the air, is 90 hours in maintenance. And that has only marginally gotten better. It is a problematic platform. Look at all the wonderwaffens that the United States has sent over to the Ukraine that the American media would... We'll, we'll gallivant. Ooh, javelin, 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 javelin. Oh, every week we were hearing about how amazing the, ja- the javelin is turning the tides of war. Because we think, again, we're living in the 80s. So we're thinking this is Afghanistan and the Soviet Union yeah. is invading. we're going to give them some Stinger missiles. Right? So it's that old Stinger narrative. And then we, you and I both know the Stinger missile is not what ended the, the Soviet Union in Afghanistan, right? Yeah. So... The javelin has come apart. That narrative. And then what was the next thing after the javelin went quiet? Nobody talks about javelins anymore. Oh, the M777 howitzers. Oh, the 777. Yeah. Oh, my God. Game changer. And that went quiet when the Russians vaporized all of them. And then, Harley, it was the HIMARS. Oh, the HIMARS. Oh, oh yeah. Let's get with the HIMARS. Maybe we go attack them. Oh, yeah. Maybe that. And that's gone quiet. Now we're hearing... Rumor, we're uh, hearing like reverberations of, oh, maybe Germany, should, Germany, the German military, which trains with painted black broomsticks, because they don't have the money for weapons and guns. Okay, they want to send German A twenty six Leopard tanks, which are the best tanks in the West. They're better than that, they're superior to the American Abrams, superior to the British Challenger twos superior even to the, uh, to the Israeli Merkova or the French Leclerc. The, the, the leopards are the best, the best tanks that the West makes. Those leopard tanks will be blown to bits against modern, more adept, more lethal Russian weapons. So this is, and, and they'll be out, and, and we cannot produce them fast enough. We only produce X amount, the West, all the West, all of NATO produces X amount of weapons per year. We do not have the capacity to fight an industrial powerhouse that is Russia or that is China. And the reason why we can't do that is simply this. You cannot have a speculative, centrally banked, or, or fractionally, you know, or, 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 you, know, you can't have an economy that's backed by a central bank with fractional reserve lending, with cheap credit, fueled by speculation, and then have an industrial power base at the same time.
1: Right. So the policy, especially when there's a committed policy of deindustrialization. Look what's happening right now in California. Why are these floods so bad? Exactly. Because they haven't yeah. done regular routine maintenance.
0: Bingo.
1: They, they have neglected what we used to do in the 50s and 60s. California was at the front of the world in, in capability when it came to water management. Yeah, They stopped spending on it. In the early '70s, yeah, and we have water shortages because of that. We have then we have flooding, and you know, we go from too hot and dry to too wet, and and avalanches, you know. The and the, they say it's global warming. No, it's stupidity of undercutting infrastructure investment. The whole speculative system that you're talking about has the argument that infrastructure must pay for itself. Well, that's never been the approach. Go back and read Hamilton. What Hamilton said is if we want to become a self-sufficient nation, we have to have internal improvements. At the time, it was canals. It was bridges. It was ports. Yep. And that's how the United States grew. And it was government spending. But it was government spending to create the capabilities in the private sector to do these things. Yep. So the, the idea that we can't spend the money and then we spend $110 billion on a losing proposition like the Ukraine war, you know, it just shows how far we've lost our sanity.
0: Yeah, we have. We're run by criminal. Criminally stupid people run the West. Criminally stupid people run the West and are going to run us off a cliff if we don't get them out of power.
1: And it's in both parties in the United States. It's in virtually all parties oh, yeah. in Europe. And you know there, there are solutions. There are smart people out there who know this isn't going to work. I mean, you talk about what, what you've been saying in terms of the military capability. An actual person who knows something about this is Douglas McGregor. Yep. Or Danny Davis. Yep. Or Scott Ritter. These are people who have made it their business to know about these things. And yet they're now, the Wall Street Journal had an article the other day discussing uh, Ritter as a discredited uh, figure who's spewing anti-American policy. Uh You have this Ukrainian committee to combat disinformation who calls people like John Mearsheimer, who actually is an expert, uh, or Tulsi Gabbard, they call them. Putin mouthpieces, just as I'm an information terrorist, I'm on that same list. Yeah, uh, Rand Paul, for, for simply saying we should know where the money's going, he's an information terrorist. On, you're, on a, Putin you're a paper.
0: Putin puppet, Harley. How dare That's you right. ask where the money's going?
1: That's right. <laughs> so the good news is that, that around the world people see through this. The problem is getting people in the West off their rear ends out of this la-la land, into the real world. And we just have to keep at it. Yeah. And we, the people who are supporting us, do more. Yep. Talk it up with everyone. And if someone is spouting off the New York Times or the CNN story, just tell them. Around the world, most people
0: know that's crap. Yep, exactly. Very well said. Harley Schlanger, the man, the myth, the legend. Harley thank you so much for joining us and folks you can find them over at the Schillerinstitut.com the Schillerinstitut.com as well as the LaRouche organization.com make sure you go there sign up tomorrow What time does that uh, symposium start tomorrow Harley
1: It's from 10 a.m. to 2 and it will be quite quite interesting especially with these latest revelations including from Tucker Carlson on the CIA role in the Kennedy assassination It's about time that we put an end to the cover-up.
0: It really is. I mean, let, let, let's destroy these idiots and let's expose them for who they are. Criminals. Thugs. Just low-level thugs. It's Incredible. Harley, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. And with that being said, CJ, take it away. And folks, don't go nowhere. We have Vela's Next at 1 p.m. Go ahead, CJ.